They were cones. This is episode six of They're All Going to Laugh at Him, and I'm Alex Sprague. And I'm Jess Geyer. And I know you're disappointed that that's the quote I decided to use, but that was the funniest line in the entire movie. It was really funny. And that was said by your uh, best friend in the world, Alan Covert, <laughs> who who played a like actual side character in this movie, not just a bit part. Yeah, he did. I think so. My laugh count is, is pretty high. And part of it's because every time Alan Covert came on screen wearing a Michael Jackson costume, I lost it. We have to back up a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because today we watched The Wedding Singer. As part of our quest, our Sisyphean quest to watch every single Adam Sandler and Adam Sandler adjacent movie for 60 days straight. 60 movies, 60 days, 60 episodes. Until they make more. Until they make more. And they did just recently make one. That's why I went from 59 to 60. <sighs> <laughs> and today it's very hot. So I am, I am feeling the drag of watching movies. Except for the fact that I really like this movie. Yeah, it's a really funny movie, and I'm so surprised you haven't watched it. Finally, a movie that I've seen, but you haven't. Yeah, and also, much like a lot of movies, I think I didn't see it because I assumed I would like it. And there's something that's a little, in my mind, it's harder to go and watch a movie that you think you're going to like than one that you're going to just be kind of okay with. You're worried that you're going to be disappointed? I mean, kind of, but also like... What if I like a movie so much I have to watch it a bunch of times? That's a commitment that I'm not sure I want to get back into. Just like the commitment you have to make mandatorily to marry someone if you've dated them for long enough. And that's true. I am uh, legally married to the movie The Matrix. That's right. So anyway, this movie is a two-sand-layer movie. Two-star-sand-layer. Two-sand-stars two <laughs> that are layered because it stars Adam Sandler and it is, it's not quite his movie, like he didn't do everything on it, but it was written by one of his like good friends, Tim Hurley. He obviously had a lot to do with it, but it's not the three star where it's obviously every part is him, even though the yeah. movie was obviously written for him. Definitely written for him. And he decided to do the movie, like without him, no one writes the script. I'm, I'm tempted to say three star after looking a little more into it. I think two star is fine. We're probably safe saying two star. I think it is a two star. I don't think that it is. It's not as Adam Sandler involved as um, Happy Gilmore was. You know, maybe we could say two and a half stars. I don't know if we've given a half star for anything yet. I mean, that's really your job is to determine the stars. Yeah, that's that's the, the heavy weight I take on in this podcast compared to you. <laughs> and I do spend about equal time thinking... How many stars does this deserve as you do editing each episode? (laughs) Yeah, I know you you sit and and you sit in front of your computer for hours straight, just thinking and thinking. And during that time, I I sit and I edit this podcast and I think, wow, I'm so lucky that I don't I don't have the hard job to do. Um, So as long as we're in agreement that I am doing the hard work, let's talk about the movie. Nope, we have to talk about my laughs. How many times do you think (laughs) I laughed in this movie? I think you laughed like 32 times. Ooh, so close. I laughed 34 times. Oh man, I was so close. That that was a a laugh every three minutes, which, I mean, that's pretty good for any movie. There's few movies I laugh that much at. 
I think part of it has to do with the fact that you have never seen this movie before, too. Just like when I was mm-hmm. I was laughing a lot during Billy Madison, but I had never seen the movie before. I think the same thing goes here. When you've seen a joke before, when you know the joke is coming, it is funny, but it might not provoke that laugh response from you. Yeah, I'm not laughing three times at a Michael Jackson costume next time I watch this movie. Well, you might. It's a good Michael Jackson costume. That said, there's another aspect of this movie that especially makes me enjoy it. Which is, I wouldn't call it an obsession, but I do listen to like 80s pop on repeat a lot. Have written a found <laughs> what, a found film 80s pop musical about the X-Men. So I am specifically inclined to like this movie just based on the music. My favorite song plays during the credits. So like, uh-huh. I was like, uh-oh. I, the, the second line on my notes I wrote was, ah, fuck, I'm going to love this movie. <laughs> And I knew you were you were going to like this movie before we got into it. And it's just a funny romantic comedy in general. It's a very, to me, a very 90s romantic comedy. What year did this movie come out? It came out in 1998. And the interesting thing about this movie is that it's it's the first movie we've watched where they've given us a time period. It's set in 1985. And the whole movie is set up to be like an 80s movie almost yes but it still obviously it has like the very 90s sentiment like 90s rom-com sentiment it was very 90s rom-com but to this 80s background and i do i do want to talk about why that might be but do you want me to just quickly recap the plot yes so robbie hart played by adam sandler is a wedding singer and we find out he's getting married soon he's very deeply in love with his fiance linda and we also meet drew barrymore's character the waitress julia she's engaged too but she and her fiance haven't set a date yet and she's really worried that it's never going to happen so robbie's wedding band is really good well robbie's really good everyone really finds him entertaining and we see him talking about true love um we see him helping out a kid when when the kid is drunk and we see him just kind of being a nice guy a really fun loving guy who really enjoys weddings and julia asks him to sing at her wedding if it ever happens and she says that she'll be waitressing at his which is coming up like the next week we also learn that robbie gives singing lessons to an old woman named Rosie so she can sing at her 50th anniversary. And she pays him in meatballs, which is adorable. This uh, woman is played by... Ellen Albertini Dow. I love Rosie. And this is the second movie where an old woman has been important to the plot and has actually had a lot of speaking roles, which I think Mm -hmm. is... I think that's really cool because in rom-coms... Old women don't get a lot of parts. I mean, even uh, I think it's noticeable that Adam Sandler's sister in this movie, who's not important to the movie, is married to a seemingly older man. Yes. Or at least he looks he looks 50 and she looks 30. I have no idea their ages. Once, once you go to the 80s, everyone's ages are out the door for me, but... <laughs> well, Rosie, when we first meet her, she asks uh, a bunch of questions like, has he ever had intercourse? Is he worried about the first night of their wedding? And she, I love this line that she says she had intercourse with eight men before she got married. And in her time, that was like 200. And I mentioned that because it's going to become important later when we discuss themes. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is important thematically to the movie, but for the overarching stuff is this is another point where Adam Sandler is showing the importance of teachers and how teaching is good. 
and later says something positive about teachers. I don't know if he has a specific relationship with a teacher in his life, but it is a constant theme through all his movies. Yeah, I don't know about that. I'll have to look it up. I didn't even think about it. So it's the day of Robbie's wedding. The The day of Robbie's wedding comes around and Julia is dropped off by her mom who tells her a bunch of shallow things about her relationship and how to get Glenn to her fiance to propose to her, mm-hmm. uh, including faking a pregnancy, which, eee. Well, things don't go very well for Robbie. He's left at the altar by Linda and then Linda breaks up with him because she says he's a loser and it's not as exciting as he was when he was the lead singer of a band six years ago. And he's absolutely devastated. We learn that he's been wanting to get married since he was in third grade, which is also when his parents died. Also, uh, on the whole musical theme of the movie, he asks his sister who tells him about this, whether it was a good or bad note that she left. And I figure that's a specific thing to make him musically inclined. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yes. I think the musical aspect of this movie is also important. Mm-hmm. Uh, Julia's fiance, Glenn, who's played by... Glenn is played by Matthew Glaive. So Glenn has purchased a flight to Las Vegas for them to go get married. That's not really what Julia wants, but you can see her agree just because, you know, she wants to make Glenn happy. And she's kind of seen throughout this whole movie as doing whatever she thinks will make Glenn happy. But then he says that they'll get married in their town, in their hometown anyway. So she's Mm -hmm. excited about that. He's been cooped up in his sister's basement for five days. That is just where he lives. That's true. Yeah. But he's like sad and and depressed. And Sammy, who's played by Alan Covert, who is the limo driver. And his best friend. Comes to see Robbie and gives him a pep talk and tells him to he has to go back to work. He has to go do his next wedding job. And there will be tw- tons of single ladies there for him to, you know, have sex with, basically. But when Robbie does sing at the wedding, it is awful. You know, he's very sad and emotional <laughs> at the job, which is not a good thing when you are being a wedding singer at a celebration. This was actually, I think, the funniest scene in the entire movie is him crying and singing. I laughed at that entire thing. That was great stuff. To the song Celebrate. <laughs> While he just weeps. Yes. Ooh, good stuff. During this scene, too, he it's a mirror of the scene, the, the opening scene. He gives a speech, but this time the speech is not about true love. It's about how he, people like him will never find true love. I'm going to quote some things that the movie says, which we'll talk about later too, but he also mentions the fat man, the lady with sideburns, and the mutants at table 19 as other people who will never find love. And then he sings Love Stinks, and he makes all of those people say the Love Stinks chorus part. Anyway, Robbie is so down in the dumps that people are saying that he's having a mental breakdown and and might go to a mental institution. Apparently, it's said enough that the little kids are repeating this information. Yeah, and I think uh, they specifically have little kids do that due to the fact that uh, generally you're seen as little kids don't lie. The whole mouth of babes thing. So They're so cute, these kids. But Robbie goes to Julia's engagement party anyway because he was invited. And we learn about Glenn's job as a Bonds tradesman. He works in Wall Street. Alan Covert comes in dressed up as Michael Jackson. <laughs> to a fancy dress party. Yes. Oh, man, so good. And just a beautiful mullet. <laughs> yeah. 
There's a scene where, well, Adam Sandler's character has started working bar mitzvahs instead of weddings because it's not as emotional for him. And there's a scene where he gets Julia to dance with the quote-unquote loser kid at the bar mitzvah to make him feel better and to regain his self-confidence. And it's, it's a cute scene. Glenn, in the meantime, has pushed all the wedding planning onto Julia. So she asks Robbie to help her because we've seen in a couple previous scenes that Robbie knows a lot about wedding planning, probably because he's been planning his own wedding and has been thinking about it since third grade. They have fun. There's a montage. It's an adorable montage. Yeah, it was actually a good montage this time. It showed people doing better over time, unlike the last montage, which was garbage. (laughs) The last montage in Bulletproof, (laughs) where Damon Wayans, you complained that his montage of him getting better just showed him already being good. Yeah, that's not how a montage works is all I'm saying. (laughs) <laughs> well there okay so after the montage there's a scene where julia and her sister holly are talking about how julia will kiss on her wedding day is it going to be an open mouth kiss with a lot of tongue which is what holly who's kind of played as a like a slut basically i am not slut shaming her i just want to make that very clear that is the word i'm going to use because i that is the character that she is supposed to be portraying she's played by christine taylor She's kind of unrecognizable, at least to me, because she's dressed like Madonna basically the entire time. Yeah, to the point where uh, Robbie says, you look like Madonna, and then she responds, that's the point. Mm -hmm. So Holly tells Julia that she should kiss open mouth with a lot of tongue. And Julia wants it to be a little bit more chaste because they're going to be in a church. And Robbie comes in, and Holly makes Julia practice the kiss on Robbie, and it's the music swells, it's a romantic kiss, you can see that they're both into it. Did you notice the music in that scene, by the way? I didn't. What was it? It is the song he ends up writing at the end of the movie. Oh, that's (laughs) cute. No, we didn't notice that. I noticed it because I was like, this is the only song I don't know in this movie. Yeah, it did stand out because it wasn't an 80s pop song. Anyway, we learn that Holly wants to date Robbie. She thinks Robbie's cute. And Julia kind of begrudgingly says that it's okay, you know, because Julia's supposed to be getting married. She's not supposed to be jealous. So they go on a double date to a club called Spanky's. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't pick that up. And it's at this double date that Robbie learns that Glenn is cheating on Julia when he's gone in the city for work. And this makes him very upset. Also, did you happen to notice how they set Glenn up as a bad guy for the first time before that? I don't know. Something with Miami Vice, right? No, they they made fun of him for that because he dresses like he's from Miami Vice. But it, in my opinion, his real villain turn when you're supposed to hate him was just him not liking David Bowie and trying to like shame people for singing along. And I'm like, yeah. Earlier, though, too, we see that he's not that great of a guy because he's very patronizing toward Julia. He's really rude to Holly, slut-shaming Holly. And, you know, he works in Wall Street. <laughs> and also, during during this club scene, he's constantly checking out other girls, other women. My, my part was mostly a joke because I like David Bowie. Oh. I think everyone should. You were joking, and I thought you were very serious. <laughs> i mean i am serious if anyone was like you know david bowie sucks i'd be like well he's a villain <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of the date julia gets really drunk because she's very jealous julia goes to stay with glenn and robbie takes holly home and holly tries to get robbie to go up to her room holly tells robbie in the scene that julia is only marrying glenn because he's rich 
And this really bums Robbie out because he is not, he's a wedding singer. So after this, he goes to the city to get a quote, real job. He interviews with Kevin Nealon in a bank and he fails miserably at this, at trying to get this job. And he has in the meantime, quit his wedding singer job and also quit giving Rosie lessons because Julia goes to try to find Robbie at Rosie's house and he's not there. But he ends up pulling up and they get in a fight because he says to Julia that she's only marrying Glenn because he's rich and this makes her really mad because basically calling her shallow. So Robbie goes to a bar and complains with Sammy, but Sammy admits that he's miserable as a single guy. If Robbie wants to emulate him, he shouldn't because he's not (laughs) doing great. And he admits that he just wants someone to like hold him and then tells Robbie never to say, never to repeat that information. And when he goes outside the bar, he sees Glenn with a bunch of women hanging on him at his bachelor party, and there's a bit of a scuffle. This this scene I don't think is very necessary. We already got it, but it does add on to the themes. I actually think you could rewrite this scene in a better way. You make a joke about Sammy saying that he just wants to find a good girl that will hold him and stuff like that, and then he's like, "I, I know where we should go, and then they should have gone to a strip club. And then that's where they see the bachelor party, where he's cheating or something. So meanwhile, Julia is dressing up in her wedding gown with her mom and her mom, she tells her mom that she's having second thoughts about the marriage. But her mom again says all these shallow things and then goes downstairs to find her veil. So Julia stands in front of a mirror and practices saying her new name, which is going to be Julia Gulia, (laughs) which is hilarious. And she starts crying because that's not what she wants. But when she starts saying... I'm Julia Hart, Mrs. Robbie Hart. That's when she starts smiling and and she's really into it. But in true rom-com fashion, Adam Sandler sees this in the window, thinks that she's super happy and goes back to the bar and gets like super wasted. And when he stumbles home drunk, Linda is there and she wants him back, but he passes out on the lawn. Uh, And the next day, Julia comes to see Robbie and Linda answers the door wearing underwear and Robbie's Van Halen t-shirt. And she, Linda, tries to make it seem like she and Robbie had sex and that they're back together, even though that's not true. And Julia gets really upset and leaves and hops the plane to Vegas with Glenn. Yeah, she agrees to just get married now instead of having a whole thing about it. And... Adam Sandler doesn't want Linda, sorry, Robbie doesn't want to be with Linda anymore. He does break up with her, kicks her out. And he has to go to Rosie's 50th anniversary party. And it's here that Robbie realizes that he really does love Julia because Julia had previously said she envisioned the one as someone who she could grow old with. And he sees that Rosie and her husband are very much in love and they're this cute old couple. So he leaves to go get Julia, but Holly tells him Julia has gone to Vegas, so he hops on the next flight, which happens to be the last ticket in first class. And he tells all the people of first class, including Billy Idol, who is there, of course, the story of what has happened, and they're all on his side, and they're all cheering him on. And it turns out that Glenn and Julia are on this same flight because Glenn has hit on a flight attendant and the flight attendant complained. So Robbie is able to get on the intercom, sing a song that he wrote for Julia, and confess how he feels. And they kiss, everyone claps, and the scene of them kissing pans to them kissing for their wedding day. The end. 
happily ever after. Yep. So what's this movie about? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know you have a few uh, opinions on it, and I have a few opinions on it. I think they're pretty much in tandem. I do want to point out the number one thing, but I can't stop thinking about it, so I'd say it. That scene where they get together on the plane, and then uh, Billy Idol's fan pushes Glenn into the airplane bathroom. Someone Mm -hmm. on a negative review of this movie said the only funny part was when that guy threw Glenn out of the airplane. And I was just (laughs) laughing so hard at the idea that the person (laughs) thought that that's what that scene was. And I'm like, yeah. That's so funny. That's the only funny scene. (laughs) It's something that you fundamentally misunderstood. But what is this movie about? Well, let's first talk. Let's let's talk about traditional rom-coms. So normally in a rom-com, you have the male lead and the female lead who are normally in different places, kind of. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of the best way to put that. Usually the man wants to retain his freedom. Usually a man in a rom-com has some kind of mm, commitment issue. Yes, but also normally they have a kind of fundamentally opposing thing going on. Mm -hmm. Like... I'm trying to build a Starbucks across the street from your humble little coffee shop, and you have to teach me what it's like to to let go. It, it's normally the characters are different. It's basically he was a punk, she did ballet. What more can I say? That's every rom com, um, and this one is uh, just very specifically. They're the same person. They are, which uh, I think works a lot better. Yeah, it's really cute because I think that Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore have a lot of really good chemistry. And this is the first of three movies that they will be in together. Drew Barrymore has specifically said that they have movie chemistry in exactly the way they don't have chemistry in real life, which I found funny. I just think that they're so cute together. I love Drew Drew Barrymore. Mm -hmm. I'm a little biased because I'm bisexual and so is she. But here's another thing about rom-coms. They tend to be a little bit more sexy. Yeah, there is no sex scene of any sort. Um, They have a few kisses. No tongue. (laughs) Well, only church tongue. There's no, yeah, no scenes of trying to make themselves desirable, which I find interesting, except for Sandler trying to get a real job because he thinks that's what she'll find desirable. I want to talk about this idea of desirability, too, because, in fact, both of them are shown as being opposites of what is sexy in this movie. The two characters that are kind of foils for each other are Julia and Holly, her sister. Drew Barrymore has short, like, her hair's in a bob. Um, she's usually covered up pretty well. She doesn't dress in the like the cutting edge fashion. Whereas Holly, as we mentioned before, dresses up like Madonna. Mm-hmm. Holly is known for having sex with a lot of people. And then we also have Glenn versus Robbie. And here their desirability is played as a man who wants manly, quote unquote, manly things like nice car. He has a high paying job. He dresses like Miami Vice. Versus Robbie, who lives in his sister's basement, has a job as a wedding singer, wants to get married, and is seen as a little bit more feminine. And then uh, right in the middle is Sammy, who also works a working class job as a limo driver, 
dresses like celebrities in the entire movie and is putting on a performance of wanting to be like Glenn until push comes to shove and he says, like, no, that makes me miserable. I would really rather be like you. Yes. There's a lot to be said about purity and virginity in this movie, too. Like I said, Rosie, we see we typically see older women as pure and innocent, but we don't really look at their past. I mean, every everyone has a history. Mm. And she talks very openly about the amount of men that she had sex with before she got married. As opposed to Sandler's character, who is very uncomfortable by this talk about sex. Yeah, there's a actually a running theme I've noticed of him basically having in his films older people being open about that, which is, I don't know, a little interesting. Um, there's another scene in the movie where a like 80-year-old man high-fives a newly bar mitzvahed man mm-hmm. um, about a girl. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly what it was, just, hey, girls, high-five. Um, showing kind of the, the range of men. I just know when we get to Grandma's Boy, there's a lot of talk mostly for jokes, but not necessarily always for it, about the grandmas and their sexuality. Yeah, in this scene, I mean, I think that they are kind of playing Rosie's sexuality for laughs, but I think that's just kind of what comedy is. It's subverting your expectations and getting that laugh response out of you. A laugh response is something that, you know, shocks you, surprises you, makes you sometimes uncomfortable. I'm not saying that it's okay to make offensive jokes. I'm not saying that at all, but that Mm. is... You know, that's kind of what provokes laughter. That's why we laugh when people fall down. It's funny and surprising. That's why it's funny to us when people subvert tropes. And I think that this movie does do a lot of trope subversion when compared to other 90s rom-coms. Yeah, it's definitely uh, less... I mean, I could could guess the ending. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. But could I guess the roles of people in the movie as well? In a... this same movie made by other people, you have Adam Sandler's character sleep with Holly for sure, and that's what makes them fight, you know? Mm-hmm. That's that's what would normally happen. Instead, they have Robbie's character be like, oh, no, I'm not really interested. Sorry, I'm in a bad place right now. Exactly. There's that trope subversion. I mean, he he never has sex during this movie. There isn't a sex scene, as they said. There is no sex scene during this movie. The closest we get to seeing anything sexy is two scenes that appear one after another. One, when Drew Barrymore wakes up her fiancé to go get on the plane to Vegas, he's wearing leopard print underwear. I don't know what you call those briefs, I guess. Yeah. And then the next scene, Linda in her underwear and the shirt. That's the closest to sex we get. It's those yeah. two characters. I also want to point out, in in that scene with Linda, they very clearly make a parody of a one-night stand by when he kicks her out. She's leaving barefoot, holding like some of her clothes from the night before in a dress from the night before in a very one-night stand-type scene. And he had specifically said before, like, if I had a one-night stand, it would be great, but I guess I'd have to give him cab fare, otherwise I'd feel bad, and then, like, some other stuff. So basically, they, they set up for that type of imagery before. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just very clear that Robbie, I think Robbie's a virgin because he's 
he gets upset when he learns that Juliet has stayed over at Robbie's house several times. He gets, I mean, it's because he's in love with her at this time, but that does make her, make him upset. He gets uncomfortable talking about sex and he lives in his sister's basement. He doesn't live with Linda. You would think that if you were with someone for six years, you would have probably moved in with each other. I don't think he's necessarily a virgin in this based on some of the stuff like her wearing his clothes and things like that. They don't really seem to, I mean, maybe they don't say specifically one way or another, but they had been dating for like six years and they, they certainly didn't make it. I guess he is uncomfortable with intimacy and stuff, but maybe he's not a virgin, but he's certainly virginal. Yes, for sure. Yeah, so there's there's a lot to be said, I think, about that theme. Where, where as you said, usually there would be some sex in a rom com like this. Like in, in a in a normal one, they'd even probably have uh, a shot of Glenn openly cheating with someone to to show how bad he is. Right, or like you said, there would be a scene that they go to a strip club. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen. Uh, this one, movie's very tame. Yeah, I mean it was PG thirteen, but yes. One thing, though, is that there is a lot of language and ideas throughout it about how love and sex both work as a commodity and they kind of treat it as a transactional thing. Yeah, let's talk about that because in addition to that, I think that this this movie has some themes on class and wealth and, and, and money, mm-hmm. too. And it is strongly tied to love. So let's let's talk about that. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with... So from the different expectations of different characters, you see how they interact with the idea of love and sex. Holly and Sammy's characters are both... Promiscuous? Yeah, I guess they're just more promiscuous. Um, And they actually get together at the end, seemingly. They are together at the wedding. And I think it shows... One thing that's interesting is, although Glenn shames Holly for this, no one else in the movie shames Holly for promiscuous behavior and then sammy's behavior where he's acting like a skis ball and like saying he's gonna sleep with the new waitress and blah 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 it's he he is told by robbie like you're you're like being scummy now and i'm gonna tell people what you said but they also show that he's kind of just putting on a performance i find it interesting because when they get together at the end they're doing that because they both have similar attitudes towards how life should be lived and that's the common thread between all the relationships is Robbie and Julia both believe in this certain type of marriage and love, which is not about security or material things. It's about the feeling. And then Glenn says, "I well, I put my, or she put my time in. She put her time in. Yeah. She gave me four years, so I got to marry her now, I guess. It's a very transactional thing. And then people see her relationship with him as I'm doing it for security and for the money and X, Y, Z. And he states that she got with him before he was rich. So he knows she's not in it for the money. And his point of view is very money driven, security driven, transactional. And that's also how Julia's mom views things, because she mentions several times that Glenn is rich. So this is the person you want to be with. Why Why wouldn't you want this person? And I don't think that it's a coincidence that he works on Wall Street. We also see that he, he'll he spend money at the drop of a hat. He buys a $700 CD player. Just all of all of that. 
Whereas compared to Robbie, Robbie is happy getting paid in two meatballs per singing lesson because he cares about love and he cares about, you know. Yeah, she's specifically learning to sing so she can sing at her 50th anniversary. Yes, it's so cute. (laughs) I love her. (laughs) She's my favorite character in this. When he goes on the interview at the bank, he specifically, he explicitly says that it's to impress a girl and that he doesn't actually really want the job. He'd be fine with the appearance of having this job. He Business cards with his name on them. That would be enough for him. He just wants that appearance because he thinks for a man, that's what you need in order to be desirable is to have wealth. Mm-hmm. Also, I think that there is something interesting to be said about the financial aspect of weddings and love, which is yes. what I want to kind of roll this into is the movie does start with Steve Buscemi giving a speech that involves them saying he and his brother got prostitutes once. Um, and there's a few references to prostitution in the movie. And unlike a lot of movies, um, they don't like specifically, they, they don't like demean sex workers, which is not how you see prostitutes in most movies. Um, it's not said good light or any you know they're not woke about it but i'm saying they're not specifically demeaning it and i think that might have a little bit to do with the fact that adam sandler is the lead of this he is someone in this who is selling love basically he's the the wedding singer um they they very specifically call him the wedding singer and not a wedding singer and i think the idea of selling an emotion is very interesting and there's something to be said about why they would make that movie compared to anything else and i think a lot of it has to do with i mean what adam sandler is known for is musical comedy his the music part probably like i mean yeah i don't have to say probably it obviously goes hand in hand with his comedy so him selling music in this movie love has to be equivalent to him selling laughter so i think a lot of that is kind of talking about what it means to be someone who is making money off of other people's love and other people's laughter. And I'm not saying that lust and love are the same thing, but in a movie, they kind of are, right? Yeah, in in rom-coms, they certainly are. Yeah, there's no way on a movie to, well, except through music, to show that characters are in love except by making them bang, basically. That's mm-hmm. That's what movies do. So I think... You know, there's something to be said about the fact that Adam Sandler's character would be selling love as a commodity, basically, because he sells comedy and laughter as a commodity. Yeah, I think that that's a very good point. And and you mentioned, too, like the, the commodity, the, the transactional relationship of having a wedding, people spending all of this money on this event. I think that is certainly something to be said and a lot of people still do think of marriages as a transactional idea mm-hmm. i mean finances are super tied into getting married and that's why i'm getting married to you is for your inheritance yes uh it is a spiritual inheritance i am hoping to create magic and she's pretty sure it's gonna work it is i got my fingers crossed on this one yeah. i also want to talk about because we were talking about how Sandler's character eventually starts seeing being rich as the commodity he needs to be desirable. 
um, and attractive as a potential husband. In addition to that is the idea of attraction, physical attraction, being a desirable uh, uh, commodity. We first get this theme uh, when Julia talks to her mom on the day of Robbie's day of Robbie's wedding. Mm-hmm. She points to the sign with has the picture of Adam Sandler and Linda, who's played by um, Angela Featherstone. Thank you. I knew it was Featherstone. And her mom says, you're prettier than she is. Why aren't you getting married? And Drew Barrymore says, what does being pretty have to do with it? And her mom says something to this extent of like, oh, it has like everything to do with it. And later, too, when after Robbie is broken up with and he's singing, sing crying at the wedding, at uh, Carla and Scott's wedding, he points to unattractive people in the crowd saying that these are the people who will not get married. They will be lonely. This guy who is fat, this woman who has sideburns, and this table of people who are like, he calls them mutants, like I said, and they're just like a bunch of kind of weird looking people. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's the typical viewpoint of a lot of rom-coms, that people who are unattractive are not worthy of having love. There's a lot of ideas in rom-coms that like the uh, quote unquote ugly girl has to get a makeover before she, you know, gets the guy. Yeah. But because this movie subverts so many of those tropes, I think all of these people hold that idea in their own head that this traditional idea of love stinks, according to the song. And I wonder if the movie's also saying something about how it's okay to be different and you're still worthy of love. Uh, it, it, that reminds me of the there's a scene where they see another wedding singer uh, played by John Lovitz who is just like a creepy skeezy dude who is trying to make money and he's talking about how Adam Sandler's uh, breakup is great for him and he's going to be rolling in it and some other skeezy stuff as a view like the counterpoint of like Sandler's doing it for his emotions and his feelings and other people are doing it for money and transactional stuff and there there is I think John Lovitz is supposed to be like gross in this scene which is why it brings me up. He's like kind of sweaty and greasy. He's grabbing his junk. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, he's a, he's a slime ball character and fits in with that kind of mentality. I mean, I don't think that the wedding singer says anything profound about physical attraction. No. But I think it's interesting that they have that in there. And speaking of that too, I think it bothers me. Alexis Arquette plays mm. George. So she plays like this boy George impersonator. She doesn't really have any lines. And when she sings for the first time, it shows people staring at her in the crowd, basically like thinking that she's weird or like a freak, which I find a little disappointing really because, you know, Alexis Arquette is a trans activist, um, a trans icon. And having, having a trans woman play in a film in the 90s, I think that's... That's really, they could have done something really interesting with that. And I understand not having a plot about that or a subplot about that, but leaving that hanging. I I actually have some good news for you. One thing I do know about this movie is that this character comes back in another movie. Wait, what? What movie? Uh, I'm not going to tell you about that. That sounds fun, right? Does it come back in another Adam Sandler movie? Yes. 
Oh, that's awesome. George comes back as Georgie in another movie playing the same role. That is so cool. Okay, I'm excited to see that. I, yeah, I, I'm going to agree. Um, they, it's, it's not a great uh, depiction in this movie. In the, in the coming up movie? No, right now. I'm okay. saying in this movie. I haven't seen the next movie. I don't know. They, uh, there is a few good jokes where uh, George plays a, a clarinet and then a trumpet in quick succession doing all of the instruments for a uh, song. Yeah, I mean, I was. I, that is the one thing I was disappointed in the movie for was their portrayal of these of these characters of the of the fat man of the woman in sideburns and of the quote unquote mutants and also of Alexis Arquette's character and not kind of getting that resolution. Although there is the scene where Alexis Arquette's character is trying on wedding dresses too in the montage and they have her in a in a dress and everyone claps. It's not played for laughs. It's just her in a dress. It's not supposed to be like, haha, look at the man in a dress. But like usually in a scene like that it would be like, haha, look at the man in a dress. Isn't that funny? And the, the idea of being ugly, being meaning that you won't find love is also related to this theme of loneliness, which appears throughout the movie. I think that it's played, the movie is played in a way that Robbie is using this idea of getting married and starting his own family as a replacement for his parents because we find out that his parents are dead. He's an orphan with his sister. And he's lonely because of that. And I think that Drew Barrymore's character is also portrayed as someone who doesn't want to be lonely. In fact, when Holly asks, why are you marrying Glenn if it's not for the stability, the line, I don't want to be lonely, plays. Yeah, I would say throughout the entire movie, they do a really good job of when someone like, doesn't answer a question, the lyrics of the song do. Yes, it's the, the music in this movie is very good. Just the idea that a wedding and a marriage is there to prevent you from being lonely and that might make you settle with someone who is not the right person for you. I mean, that's a powerful statement. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think like the, the shallow theme of the movie is. What I think is a slightly less shallow theme is shown through Alan Covert's character, Sammy, which is while he's pretending to be someone else throughout the entire movie... Like when he's dressing up like MJ or trying to be the Fonz, uh, he's unable to find anyone because he's not being himself. And then later when everyone admits who they really are, he's able to find someone who likes him for the same values he has. Because there is no reason for him to be wearing Michael Jackson costumes. He's doing it because he wants to be like someone else. He says, I want to be the Fonz and some other character I didn't recognize. He does. And... This is a performance, too. It's it's very... He, he puts on this performance of masculinity, and it's very lonely being in that place of, of toxic masculinity, in, in this place where you feel like you have to close off your emotions and, and perform and behave in a certain way because you are a man and that's what you're supposed to do. Which brings me to the theme that I always talk about in every single movie so far is compulsory heterosexuality. And heteronormativity and, you know, just the idea of being of masculinity and particularly toxic masculinity. Before you get entirely into that, I also want to know your opinion of Holly's character dressing up like Madonna and being overtly sexualized. I 
am glad that they didn't make her a bad character. Yes. I actually think that they recut this movie. It oh, feels like. Can I tell you what they did? What did they do? You're going to love this. They sent the script to someone to rewrite the female characters. That someone being Carrie Fisher. I I heard about that. Yes. Yes. That's so interesting. And I think that the female characters turned out pretty good because, again, Holly is only shamed for her sexuality and her promiscuity by Glenn, the villain of the movie. Mm-hmm. Promiscuity is not necessarily seen as a bad thing, and nor is virginity and purity. Which Drew Barrymore's made fun of a little bit for her innocent takes on things. A little bit. It's not like, oh, wow, you're such a loser for being a virgin. Yeah, but it's like, oh, you're going to kiss with your mouth closed? That stuff. Yeah, but that's Holly talking to her. And then they eventually settle on a, a church tongue. Yeah, that's there's something in between their two extremes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. But as I was saying, like it feels like this movie could have easily been much more, I don't know, sexist even. Yeah, it, it could have just been a worst movie. <laughs> Yeah, it could have been. But if Holly had been made to, like, actively try to undermine Julia and Robbie, but she doesn't. She actually helps them get together. Or if, like, she slept with Glenn. Yeah. That could have easily happened. Mm-hmm. And in another rom-com, that probably would have been the plot. They might not have been sisters. They might have been friends. Yeah. But that could have easily been that plot. I, I would even say, like, there's a good chance... That was the original script. Because it it seems very close to that. Yeah. I was going to talk about, like I said, compulsory heterosexuality. The idea that you have to grow up, get married to someone of the quote unquote opposite sex, and have children and have a family, even if that's not something that you want, that's a strong urge in a lot of people. And I think it's really funny that... Robbie is portrayed as a character who just wants a wedding, it seems like. I mean, yes, he is upset about Linda, but the time it takes for him to fall in love with Julia is very short. Yeah, I actually, I I have a question. Do you think at the end of the movie, Julia and Robbie are in love or do they want that relationship later? I think they want that relationship later. I I think that they, they both want this idea of marriage that could make them compatible sure they do have similar goals and you know it it's a rom-com of course then the the falling in love thing is going to be sped up like i said too adam sandler and drew barrymore have such great chemistry it's hard to say like oh yes they're not in love they do use a lot of language for their current relationships not the one where they get together that's like Mm -hmm. i can learn to deal with this i'm gonna love him Um, And it's always in the future. Um, And then they don't use kind of present tense until he says that I do love her. Um, So, I mean, on paper, yeah, they love each other. But I I tend to see this as something of them thinking they're going in the right direction because they're compatible and they have the same expectations. I, I definitely think that they are compatible. But it's this idea of expectations. What are you supposed to do in a relationship? Because in the beginning, Drew Barrymore is in a relationship with a man who treats her in a very patriarchal type way, talks mm-hmm. down to her, basically tries to make decisions for her, tell, tells her that she's the one who should be making the wedding decisions instead of doing them with her. Whereas Robbie is much more of a feminine type character. He's the kind of character 
that, I mean, he wants a wedding. He wants to be involved with the wedding planning. That's not usually something that you hear about, like, little boys planning their wedding since they were in third grade. There are plenty of boys who do that. It's usually girls that you hear wanting that thing. Yeah. He also is a songwriter, which is, I guess, a slightly supposedly feminine, or that's what he wants to be, mm-hmm. uh, feminine job title. And he has a trans woman in his band. And this movie is set in the 80s, where compared to the 90s, what was seen as masculine or feminine, the lines were sometimes blurred. And that's why I think it's very interesting that it's David Bowie that Holly and Julia sing to. That is interesting. I did bring that up a lot. You know, he crosses gender lines all the time. I mean, he's, he's bi- and Drew Barrymore is also bi too. So there are there's a queer presence in this movie that I just I really do see. And you know, the there are a lot of women who are sapphic, who 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 love women or are attracted to women, who feel compelled to be in a relationship with a man because that's what is expected of them. That's especially true for bisexual women, where a bisexual woman is much more likely to get married to a man, not only because, you know, the dating pool is bigger, but also because there is this compulsory heterosexuality. I Maybe I'm writing way too much of my personal experience. I'm not saying that I feel like I have to marry a man or anything. I can see parallels to this idea that I'm going to get married to this person because it's what my mom expects. It's what society expects. But when I try on that identity in the mirror, it makes me hurt. Yeah. Which is exactly what happens to Julia. Yeah. She cries when she's doing that in the mirror. I also want to point out that I know if the viewers are worried that you're marrying me due to my skills at bar trivia, not anything else. Don't worry, everyone. I know. (laughs) That is my most important trait in mm. a potential spouse i knew how fast the speed or the bus on speed went on our first date and i also knew it which is alex's method of determining if i'm a dateable person yeah because i knew keanu reeves movies that's uh that was it that's hey. that was our compatibility hey <laughs> fun fact for all listeners i proposed using a quote from keanu reeves <laughs> Kind of. Uh, the well, it was though. So. <laughs> I rewrote it. Yeah, adorable. <laughs> um, let me talk about uh, what we're seeing tomorrow. Before we do that, I do want to say I like the Wedding Singer. So far, the only movie I haven't liked is Going Overboard. Bulletproof was okay. I think the the music in this movie, ten out of ten. I think it was uh, my least favorite movie since Going Overboard. Interesting. I, like, I th- it's a good, it's a fine movie. I laughed more, but like as a movie, it didn't hit quite the same notes in my opinion. It is a rom com. It is pretty formulaic. Although at the same time, like we mentioned before, it does subvert tropes. Mm-hmm. There is a trope that I wanted to mention before. It's the the ending. Yes, we do know that, that at the end they're going to get together. But there are so many rom coms where either the male lead intercepts the female lead on the runway. Of an air or intercepts them during wedding vows, it doesn't happen. It happens in this kind of liminal in between space on the actual airplane. Yeah, that was funny. That was a that was a good subversion. I didn't actually because they were cutting in a way that made it seem like different planes. I guess. Yeah, purposefully. Yeah. Yes. 
They were in they were in coach and he was in first class. And uh, in case you're wondering, this movie had one thing to say about class, and that was in first class they let you do whatever whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot about class in this movie, but I and and I know that we did talk about that quite a bit. Yeah. But that scene on the airplane kind of hits at home. Like we let anyone we let our first class passengers do whatever they want. And Robbie not really understanding how things are supposed to be in the first class. We could talk about that a little bit more, but we really... That's not the main theme. What are we watching next, Alex? We are going to watch another 1998 movie, The Waterboy. Have you seen that movie? I've seen parts of it. I don't think I've seen the whole thing. Do you uh, Do you want to take a guess at what its critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes is? 24. 35. Guess what its audience rating is. 74. 71. So. Ah, oh, I, I was close on that one. Audience likes it more than twice as much as critics. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. I don't think critics, I don't think critics like a lot of Adam Sandler movies, uh, with the exception of. Uncut Gems? Yeah. <laughs> seemingly. Um, in in yeah. fact, I do know that apparently critics gave uh, Adam Sandler a Razzie for this next movie, saying it was, you know, basically the worst performance of the year. So that'll be interesting to see if it holds up. I mean, so far, like I said, I've been enjoying these movies. (laughs) They have a ton of problematic aspects, but I can find the entertainment in them as someone who, (laughs) you know, you think me as a as a queer leftist woman, I should get offended at everything. But that is actually an untrue stereotype. We can have fun, too. I'm excited to watch Waterboy. I am going to predict that I won't like it as much. Yeah, it's another sports movie. I don't actually think I've seen this movie. I've seen parts, without a doubt. I specifically remember when I was six, maybe seven, this movie coming out, and a lot of people around me liking it a lot, and their older brothers quoting it a lot more than me. I don't know if I really saw the whole thing, but I remember thinking it was okay, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Here's my guess. It's going to have a, a loser, a character who is directly called a loser, and by the end, he's going to be the hero. I think it is going to be a satire on how they treat college football players. <laughs> That's my hope. <laughs> well, we'll find out on the next episode. You can find our podcast on Twitter at laughathimpod. And you can find our games at wannabegames.com. We are primarily game designers. And if you would like to support us, our games or our podcast or whatever else we do, you can support us at patreon.com slash wannabegames. And you can follow me on Twitter at Kitty Crusade. And me on Twitter at, at Joska. Take my wife, please. Yeah.